Isn't it good to be back? Amen. Thank you, worship team, and and everybody for all that uh, you've done. I um, am very grateful um, that you have hung with the body of Christ during these weeks of the COVID journey. It's just amazing to think that it's been almost a year uh, since our lives were disrupted, but you stayed consistent. Whether you're here on site today or you're online, you stayed consistent in loving Jesus like we sang about and worshiping and honoring him with your lives. So thank you. And if you're here this morning and you're new and you're not quite sure um, what God would want for your life, you're in a good place to do that. Or if you're watching online and uh, you're a seeker of truth or a seeker of a better life that maybe you believe God might have for you, then you're watching the right kind of thing. And uh, we started a series a couple of weeks ago simply called Follow. And in this series, we have been asking a simple question. And that question is this. The question is this, am I following? Am I following? And the more that I work with uh, thoughts regarding this series, the more I'm grateful that we're in it. I am so weary of things being made complicated when it comes to the Christian life. And Satan is pretty good at trying to stack up a bunch of do's and don'ts and making us feel guilty and feel not worthy. And if you're in that kind of place today, uh, you're still invited to come and follow. Because Jesus made it quite simple. And it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you're behaving. That invitation is for you this morning. Will you come and follow me? And so what I'd like to do is we're going to jump in to our third week. But I'm very mindful that it's not me that's standing in front of you. It's not me that you're watching in your living room. It really is the Holy Spirit that we need. The Spirit of Jesus himself to speak and to call and to lead and to encourage and I feel so inadequate. Will you pray with me? Jesus, oh, how we love you. Because you first loved us. And for us at the Awakening Church and friends and family that are gathered here and online, we just ask you, Jesus, that your spirit would take the scriptures today and make them not just come alive, but make them current in our everyday experience because you are still doing the same thing today. And so, Lord Jesus, in that vein, I pray that I would be able to get out of the way and through your word and through our thoughts, your spirit would be able to minister power and grace, comfort, encouragement. And Lord, that you, through your spirit, would extend a calling today to each and every person who's a part of our time together. In your name, amen. I indeed uh, want to step into this week by talking about uh, the calling. But you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, it's interesting to me. Super Bowl Sunday is a little bit different this year, I guess, and because there uh, is maybe not a local team or some team that you're cheering for, it's not maybe quite as resident to you. But maybe you got people coming over at 3 o'clock today. Maybe you've got other kinds of plans. I don't know. Maybe you're like, oh, yeah, it was Super Bowl Sunday, Carrie. I didn't know that. That's, that's, that's nice. Who cares? And, uh, you know, it's interesting. The church I was a part of in Indianapolis for a number of years, we uh, were there during the stint of the Peyton Manning years. And, man, I would if, if this was Super Bowl Sunday and the Colts were in the Super Bowl, everybody would be a sea of blue. And why is that? Because we followed somebody. We followed the Indianapolis Colts. Well, if you were in Kansas City, or maybe you're in Kansas City today, there's most likely uh, people dressed and decked in red. Why? Because they're following the Kansas City Chiefs. Or if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, maybe if you're still a New England Patriot, I don't know. But you're excited that uh, you know Tom Brady and, and uh, the Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl, and so you would be wearing red as well. Maybe you're decked out. Because uh, when it comes to sports, and the teams we like to follow, we 
put on the garb, we put on the gear, and, 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 and we, uh, we uh, get excited about following that particular team. Well, this whole concept, this idea of following Jesus Christ is not one like rah, rah, cheer, cheer, let's do that for Jesus, now we go our own way. It was a much more intricate, deep kind of experience of what Jesus initiated when he came to basically set aside all the religious apparatus and institutionalism, and he called people to a simple relationship. And this calling of Jesus Christ is uh, going to be unpacked today in three ways. And the first two ways are these, and these are critical for us. And it's this, the calling to be a follower of Christ is a calling where I acknowledge that I am called by Jesus and I am called to Jesus. Now, please do not just numb out with these thoughts. These thoughts are radical in being able to change your life and bring you to a place of Christian strength, or if you're not a believer, a place of checking out Jesus in a way that maybe has never been described before. You and I, if we claim to be Christians, we are called to be followers of Jesus, but we need to acknowledge we are called by Jesus himself, and we are foremostly called to Jesus in our relationship with him. This truth got a hold of my life when I was young, and it radically changed the whole trajectory of my faith, and even to this very day, walking through this series, renewing my heart, renewing my energy to serve the passion that's set before me and being a follower of Jesus. Because it's not about church going. Jesus didn't call his disciples to go to church. Jesus didn't call his disciples to a whole list of do's and don'ts. Jesus did not call his disciples to act and conduct themselves a certain kind of way. Jesus called people to him personally. It's the relationship. And so that's why we say it doesn't matter what you believe right now or how you're behaving. Jesus would walk from place to place and he would just call people to come follow him. Now, the last two weeks, we looked at Jesus calling his disciples. In particular, we looked at Matthew. And when Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, to come follow him, and people were like, oh my gosh, not him. But you know how he behaves. And Jesus showed up at his house, and uh, he continued to call those kinds of individuals that everybody else would say, no, disqualified. Then last week, we looked at how Peter and um, uh, James and John and Andrew, how they were endeared to Jesus to call him and how calling to follow Jesus isn't some once for all, everything I have, God, take it. As we looked at in Matthew last week, when Jesus called the fishermen off the sea, it says that once they left everything and followed him and we sort of drop our jaw and go, really? Just like that? Doesn't that seem irresponsible? But then we unpack the story a little bit and realize that the fishermen who had been out fishing all night and had hung and dried their nets, ready to roll them up, put them away. They be, you know, they started hearing Jesus teaching along the hillside there, the Sea of Galilee, and they were struck again by maybe how he was a, such a great communicator and uh, teaching truth in a very practical way. And so um, they... Uh, gradually made these steps as Jesus asked to get in the boat and to push out from shore so he could talk to people. And then he asked Peter, let's go fishing. And he's like, really, we're putting stuff away. But that simple, small step, because you say so, it says then in the Luke version, he cast his nets in such a great haul. And then Peter fell to his knees and said, my Lord, I am a sinful person. He acknowledged who he was and he came more into this vital relationship of following. That story of Jesus calling the fishermen, not only to follow him, but then become fishers of men and how they did end up leaving that profession and following Christ and serving his purposes. That story, it, we unpacked a little bit more from Luke 
back from Matthew last week, but that story is in all four synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each Gospel is a little bit different. Matthew's writing to Jewish people uh, that are pretty well versed in the God thing. And Luke had taken on a lot of interactive uh, interviews and accounts, and he was putting together uh, his version of it. Mark is uh, seen as, as the story of, of Peter's um, interpretation of all that happened. And then John was a very a personal gospel. In John, there's a lot of different material. And John is not called one of the synoptics gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which have a lot of some of the similar material. But here, this story of Jesus calling his disciples to follow him is in all four gospels. What I want to look at today is the calling in the gospel of John. Some people think that the calling in the gospel of John is incongruent with how Jesus called his disciples, in particular the fishermen, in the other synoptic gospels. But here's the deal with the story as you find it in John. Luke unpacked it more of that particular experience from what Matthew said, but John seems to reference a prior version, a prelude, a flashback of Jesus interacting with Peter and Andrew and the disciples who were fishermen prior to that really come to Jesus moment where, hey, you're Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm going to follow you. So I want to take us there and to go there, turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, it says this, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Now, what John is this? This is not John who wrote the gospel, who was the fisherman, who followed Jesus. This is John the Baptist. All right, so John the Baptist was seen as a, a forerunner of the declaration of Jesus being the Messiah. And he's out there uh, telling people to prepare, to prepare for the coming Messiah. He's out there telling people that they need to be baptized for the remission of their sin. But he said, there's one who's going to come after me who he's not going to just baptize in water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, get ready, get ready. And so we drop into this story following Jesus' encounter with John the Baptist. So it was there the next day, and there were two of the disciples that were actually following John around and were endeared to his teaching, and they also had an expectancy then for the coming Messiah. And so when John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, he proclaimed, look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So, John the Baptist, been baptizing people, repentance of sins, there's a coming Messiah. Oh, look, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they're like, well, hey man, we're out of here following you then. We're going to start following him. Now, it wasn't incongruent because there was the same kind of movement that uh, was coming about through John the Baptist. He was just pointing to the future movement of Jesus himself. But these two disciples were like, oh, well, they took off and they start following him. Jesus turned around and said, what are you bugging me for? Get off of my trail. No. Jesus turned around and he said what? He said, what do you want? How many of you started following Jesus because you wanted something? What do you want? That's okay if you started following Jesus or if you're considering following Jesus because you want something. You can't hide that from Jesus. He would turn to you and say, well, what do you want? Uh, answer that question. Fill in the blank, all right? I want, uh, I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to have success. I want to um, know I'm going to heaven. What? Well, you know, there's all kinds of wants that we may have for choosing to at least initially seek out and be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is mindful of that. They said to him, Rabbi, uh, which means teacher, 
because they acknowledged he was a teacher. They, they didn't believe that he was the Son of God, God himself. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They heard John the Baptist speak, but they were just sort of following, checking him out, like, where, where are you going, you know? And uh, so this question, where are you staying, seems to be rather odd, doesn't it? Have you had anybody follow you down a sidewalk recently and you turn around and say, what do you want? And they say, hey, where are you staying at? Now, you'd be a little suspicious of that, wouldn't you? It's like, oh, wait a second. I don't think uh, I'm going to tell you my address, right? Jesus didn't say bug off. He simply said, come. Come. Come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Can I just simply say this, wherever you're at in your background or presently or as you're watching, I, Jesus, when you check him out, he takes you just as you are and he just simply says, come and see. Come and see. This calling that happened in these early days was a simple calling by Jesus himself. And so it's not some uh, big grand calling that comes from the pastor of the church. It's not a calling that uh, your mom and dad sort of forced you with growing up. You need to be a Christian or you need to be a Christ follower. In the spiritual realm, through the Spirit, there is a calling that comes to each and every one of us. And it's a calling that comes by the very hand, eyes, and mouth of Jesus. That's why you can calm your spirit down wherever you're at, while you're at whatever stage of life you're in. I believe that calling goes out every moment of every day to all people. It's a calling, though, not by peer pressure, parent pressure. It's a calling by Jesus himself. Can you take yourself and plop your very being in this story? I do. What do you want, Carrie? Uh, uh, I don't know where, where, where you're staying at. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Go ahead, come. Come and see. And so that's exactly what happened. Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed him. Now, this is an interesting part of the story. We know that uh, it was Andrew and Peter that were fishermen and J James and John. And here we have this prelude to it. And so Jesus is, you know, casually in the area, right? And uh, uh, John the Baptist is preaching and then Jesus comes by and it says two disciples. And here it describes who the first one is of those two. It's Andrew. Andrew. Um, Andrew wasn't a prominent. He wasn't in the inner core of Peter, James, and John, which were believed to be the three closest to Jesus. But Andrew was the first in one sense that had this interactive touch. Now, who was the other disciple? The Gospel of John does not mention it, but it's most likely that it was John himself. John does not like to say his name. John's a pretty humble kind of guy, and so he backs away from articulating his name throughout his Gospel, other than to say the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was his acknowledgement of who he was in his Gospel. But it says two followed. Here it says one was Andrew. But guess what? Andrew had a brother. And his name was Simon Peter. And so they heard what John the Baptist said. And, and, uh, and then they followed Jesus. So this is a, it now starting to unfold. And the first thing Pete, Andrew did then was to go find his brother Simon and tell him, hey, I think we, we, this guy be, might be the guy. I think we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. I find it interesting, Andrew, you know, maybe he went to his house, he hung out there with him, he got to know him a little bit, and he says, man, I, wow, i got to go tell my brother. And so there's this chain that starts to develop from one person telling another person to another person. You are called by Jesus himself 
And that calling by Jesus is then extended to others that are in your networks of community. It says this then in verse 42. And he, Andrew, brought Peter to Jesus. Peter, we need to go to the synagogue. Peter, we need to say our prayers. Peter, we need to really get our act together if that Messiah is going to come. No. Andrew said, Peter, come. I'm going to take you to Jesus. So this idea that you are called by Jesus moves into an understanding that you're called to Jesus. You're called to the personhood of Jesus Christ himself. Not a religion, but a relationship. Jesus, he looked at Peter and he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, Jesus was a little bit historic for changing the names of Peter, uh, people's names or even giving them nicknames kind of thing in a good kind of way. But he's endearing himself to Peter. And Peter, Cephas, the word means rock and ends up being that Peter becomes the rock of foundation of the church. Not in all the sense of a Catholic sense or the Pope, the first Pope, that kind of No, it's just simply saying, your life, your declaration, and your ownership of me as Messiah, I will build my church upon that truth. And so this is the beginning, the first encounter actually of Peter. Now you're saying, well, Carrie, I was here last week. You're pulling a fast one on me. I thought last week when uh, Jesus asked Peter to get out in the boat and then to go fishing, that was like the first encounter. Well, according to the Gospel of John, apparently not. Now, that makes sense. That's not incongruent. It would make sense that you're trafficking. These were religious people. They were Jewish people. They had an interest in the faith and an interest in who the Messiah would be. They're listening to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist points out Jesus and Andrew and John, most likely other disciples, took off and connected with them. And then Andrew is going to say to Peter, Peter is brought to Jesus. Jesus begins to interact with him briefly. There's the moment that you're met. So it's not cold turkey. Now, the reason I say this isn't good for us is because you need to understand especially if you're trying to share your faith with someone else and encouraging them to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If they reject it or if they say, ah, not, not, not for me, not quite now, don't be discouraged. You're trying to encourage them to get to know this person named Jesus who is not a dead, who is not dead, but is alive and through his spirit is present even in this very room. And that's why you engaged in worship the way you did because Jesus is here. Jesus needs exposure. He needs exposure through your invitations. His spirit can lead and direct, but just like Andrew was saying, come and see. Same thing Jesus had said. Don't get discouraged in your reaching out and trying to witness and encourage others to follow. And if you're someone who thinks, you know, I don't know why I'm back in the building today trying to check this all out again. Jesus is patient and kind with you. And we find that the disciples, before they became the apostles, were individuals who had several encounters with Jesus. The next day, Jesus then decided to leave Galilee. So that all happened in the moment up around Galilee. So he left. And then Jesus, out of the blue, finds another person. And his name is Philip. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, were from the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida was just outside of uh, uh, the area. And Jesus calls Philip. Now, we don't know an awful lot about Philip. He doesn't emerge as part of the inner core. But Philip is immensely excited about his encounter with Jesus. And he goes and he finds Nathanael, it says in verse 45. And he tells him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also write, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. 
So here's this chain link thing happen again. He, he sort of calls Peter, hey, I mean, Philip to come follow me. And then Philip turns around and he goes, finds this guy, Nathaniel, and says, hey, Nathan, let's check this out. Check this guy out. I think this is the Messiah, the one that was written about in, in our holy scriptures, right? Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now, you've got to understand this. If you were waiting for the Messiah to come, you had been raised your whole life. You're in the household. Your mom and dad are sitting down with you at uh, meals, at the Passover, whatever you do. And you're talking and anticipating the coming Messiah. And someone walks up to you and says, hey, I got this guy. I think he's it. And he lives up in Hemet. <laughs> what? That's not what you would be expecting, Right. You're expecting him to come off of some holy mountain or something like that. It's like, hey, you, what, do you, what do you mean, Jesus, the son, uh, the son of Joseph? Isn't that Joseph guy from Nazareth? Isn't he just a carpenter? Doesn't he make wood things with his hands or something? That guy? Nazareth. Nazareth. Can any good thing come from there? Nathaniel asked. Philip didn't try to persuade at that moment. What did he do? He just said, come and see. Come and see. Have you seen? Have you seen Jesus? Have you walked with Jesus? Have you been able to talk with Jesus? Have you seen how he works, how he handles and treats people? How he goes after individuals with endearment, but yet when he sees false religiosity and, and other kinds of things, he just like cringes at the injustice in the world. When he sees the poor that are not ministered to, when he sees other injustice happening in cultures. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen his miracles? Have you, have you just, just, like, just come and see? Come and see Nathan got to see. How many people have rejected Christian faith, have rejected Christ because they've not seen Him? You know, it was Mahatma Gandhi who rejected Christianity. But he said, I do like that Jesus. I just don't like the Christian." We have to get past all the clutter, especially in our culture that has stereotypes of Jesus, has stereotypes of Christians, and sometimes we deserve some of those stereotypes. Get past all the clutter and just come see Jesus. If you encounter Jesus, if you come and see, I fully believe your life will be transformed and you will become a follower of Him. But let's remove the obstacles. Let's ask for forgiveness for our hypocrisy. Let's, let's take people around, people that maybe genuinely do follow Jesus, or, or, or let's give time to just say, hey, I'll be glad to read through the Gospels with you. Let's get them to encounter Jesus Himself. Because this world doesn't, doesn't need hope. Just this world needs the hope that is only found in Jesus. But just like Philip is like, I, I don't know what to say. Just come and come and see. And so Nathaniel's like, all right, drag me along. So he took him. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, and he, he knew what was going on in Nathaniel's head. <laughs> he knew what Daniel just said. Could any good thing come out of Nazareth? When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching him, he said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Jesus acknowledged the personhood of Nathaniel and who he was. He knew, he saw. Nathaniel is dumbfounded. He is dumbfounded as he comes to Jesus, and it says this in verse 48 How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So I don't know. I don't know how far away that was. I don't know how many miles they walked to see Jesus. It must have been that Nathaniel was eating his lunch underneath a fig tree. And he was hanging out and, and Philip walks up to him 
And all of a sudden it's like, how's that possible that Jesus would have known that? Does he have some like telecommunication that goes on? Or was there a, a hidden camera in the tree? No, not during that day. Jesus visually saw Nathanael as Philip walked up to him and said, come and see this one who the scriptures talk about, this one who comes from Nazareth, who's the son of Joseph. Come and see. I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if Nathaniel in that moment goes, oh my gosh, what else did he see? It doesn't matter what else he saw. What Nathaniel was doing or not doing or what he said, Jesus was receptive to have Nathaniel come and be with him. And what happens then? What happens is this. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I don't know about you. The moment I read that, part of me goes, whoa, wait a second here, Nathaniel. Isn't that pretty fast? Wasn't that a pretty big leap? Well, Nathaniel was a very devout spiritual man, and he had studied the Scriptures, and he understood the Messiah. That's why he was having some offense of like, hey, Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth out of, you know, you know, a carpenter's house? You know, come on, really? But when he understood, he began to move away from, hey, this is just some guy my brother's, I mean, my friend here is going to have me introduced to, to this is a rabbi who possibly is the Son of God. You must be, oh my goodness, the King of Israel. There's some revelation that broke through to Nathaniel. How does Jesus respond? He says, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, and you will see greater things than these if you come follow me. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so what we have here in the first part of John is the calling of Jesus' disciples to Himself. This was an initial encounter. It preceded the story of Jesus and um, Peter and Andrew and James and John along the shoreline. But what we have here is a clear, simple description of what Christianity is. It's about the calling. And that's how I framed up today and entitled it, I am called by Jesus and I'm called to Jesus. Do not get past the simplicity of that. And if I could encourage you here, directly with this aspect of being called to Jesus, do not, do not feel like you've got to establish some type of new disciplines in your life. Church going, Bible reading, checking out, you know, correcting your behavior. As much as it is just get close to Jesus. Because this calling is to relationship and not religion, but this calling is to an intimate relationship with Jesus. Isn't this very precious, the recording of all this and how they began to unpack it? Unpack the masses of people and Jesus begins to call them one at a time. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 3. I don't have all the Scripture here. But in Mark chapter 3, it says this in verse 7. Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. So this is the early part. It's the early part of Mark. It's where this story is. So here's Jesus follow, uh, calling followers, and there's quite a large contingency that's now gathered to follow him. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he'd healed many so that those diseases were pushing forward, so those with the diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down from him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So 
let's fast forward everything. It's starting to build pretty quick. He's gathering people like he did with Andrew and, and with John and, and, and with uh, Philip and Nathaniel and, and then James. And, and, and that's, that's sort of this inner core kind of thing. But there's masses of other people who are checking him out, who are coming to see Jesus, who are trying to get up close to him so much that he says, get me out in the boat so that I don't get pressed in by the crowd. So this is quite a big happening. Bigger than the Super Bowl. Historically, ultimately. Jesus' earthly ministry. He only did it for three years. He was in the carpenter shop or wherever for until he was age 30. And then he started his public ministry only three years. And then he's crucified. He was resurrected. He ascended into the heavens. He sent his spirit back. He's coming again. The whole big story unfolds as it goes down to the continuum of millennium. And we're a part of that here in the year 2021. But this story of Jesus on earth calling people by Jesus to Jesus is happening. And it's working in the sense that people are endeared to this one. They're looking for hope. They're longing for it. He's got crowds and masses and the miracles and the demons are submitting. This is quite an epic scenario that's unfolding before them and it's not a movie on a screen. It's real life. He says this then in verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and He called to Him those He wanted and they came to Him. Now what you're going to have now in this story, in this following of Jesus, is not just that first initial encounter of like, oh, come and check it out. Not the one where Peter and the other fishermen were like, oh my goodness, you must be the Lord. I'm such a sinful person. And they left everything and they followed hard after him. They were at the front of the pack. What you have Jesus doing here is he's stepping back up on a hillside with these masses and God the Father speaking to him and he's saying, I need... I do need a small group. <laughs> I need a small group, an inner circle of people that I can train and equip and empower and abide within and walk intimately with that will rock and change the world. Because he knew he couldn't get to everybody. And it wouldn't have mattered if there was video and the internet back then. It still wouldn't have worked like it does people to people. And so he sees this happening. And so he stands up and he goes up on the mountainside and he called to himself. Again, did he call them back? No, he called, he called those sort of at the forefront he'd been working with for a period of time. He called them to him and they came to him. It says in Mark 13, 3.13. 3.14 says this, He appointed twelve that might be with Him and that He might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve He appointed. Simon, to whom He gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and his brother, John. To them he gave the name Boninegras, which means sons of thunder. Now the reason Peter, James, and John are highlighted there on that text that I have on the screen is because we got their story, how he did that initial calling. And then there was Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew and Matthew. They're highlighted because we got their story. You go, wait a second, Bartholomew, we hadn't talked about that one. Well, actually, Bartholomew was the family name, most likely for Nathaniel. And wherever you see Bartholomew at in Scripture, it follows right on the hills of Philip. Isn't that interesting? Because why? Philip went and found Nathaniel and said, come and see. And so we... I've heard about Andrew and that calling, and Philip and Bartholomew, and then Matthew from our first week, Right? Uh, but then there's some others. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and then Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Interesting with Judas, he was always tagged with that line. It was Judas who betrayed Jesus. Those twelve were not only called by Jesus and called to Jesus, they were called with Jesus. They were called with Jesus to come alongside of Him, to observe Him, to preach, 
to demonstrate the ministry, even the power of freeing people from unclean spirits. Jesus took on this apprenticeship, not just as a rabbi, but as God himself, because that's what God's methodology, that's what his program and plan was for this world. That's why Pastor Kerry is up here at the Awakening Church exhorting us, walking through this scripture in 2021, 2,000 some years after this very story happened, hopefully used by the Spirit of Jesus to do the very same thing. Jesus is asking you as an individual, called by Jesus, called to Jesus, but called to be with Jesus because it's person to person to person to person. And no matter how much we are blessed by electronic means, nothing is more fabulous and powerful in witnessing for Jesus than a trust relationship you build with another person to tell them to place their trust in Jesus. He picked the 12. We have in Scripture the story of the 12. And this is a story about being called. Being called by Jesus, being called to Jesus, be called with Jesus. Warren Worsby says there's three aspects of this being called with Jesus. We won't unpack them, but you're called out. You're called out from amongst the world. You're called together. He called 12, a group, and then there was larger people that were following him, a part of the entourage, if you will, but they weren't just there worshiping and seeking time with Jesus. They were doing what Jesus called. You're called out. You are called together. You are called forth. And then you are ultimately, one day, you are called up. This is about calling. And you're worried about your career or your education. That's okay. Be concerned about your career or your education. But you're foremostly called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you're called to Him. And the question comes, am I following? I don't know. Keep it simple for your life and with your friends. And then when you go out this week, you need to know that every person you have interface and touch with or is seated beside you, whether here or at home, the Spirit of Jesus is doing the same thing. I'm called by Jesus. I'm called to Jesus. I'm called with Jesus. Can I give one little caveat, especially if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning? The called to Jesus is a face-to-face -face encounter. The called with Jesus is side by side. There's a tendency for us as Christians, the longer we live, that we lock more into the third, serving side by side with Jesus, rather than taking time to cultivate the intimacy with Jesus face to face. It's true of pastors. Like I was reading something this week where a pastor's wife just finally looked at her husband and said, is Jesus your friend? Well, no, Jesus is my... You don't say no. He says, well, he's, he's who I serve. He's my, he's, he's my boss. He's my Lord. And, and all I'm doing is... But I'm asking, is Jesus your friend? Because she was seeing what? in her pastor husband. He had got more locked in to being called with Jesus to do the ministry than it was the face-to-face -face being with Jesus. You serve out of the overflow of your intimacy with Jesus Christ. The greatest gift you can give to the world, to your family, to others, is your intimacy with Jesus. It's the face-to-face. Romans 1.6 says this. A good way to wrap this up as we do communion. <coughs> Excuse me. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Are you questioning whether you're called? Are you questioning that because, well, that was a nice story about Jesus and the disciples? here in Romans excuse me thank you
here in Rome is the Apostle Paul, who was called by Jesus to a traumatic experience after Jesus had been raised from the dead, exhorts the Christians who are in Rome to understand what we've been talking about here today. I'm exhorting you in here today. You are included among all the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who have been called to belong to Jesus. So as we prepare for communion, I'm going to ask Jamie to come back up. As Jamie comes back up, I want you to take the communion cup that you were given coming in if you're a follower of Jesus today. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand and, and they'll get you a communion cup. We've been doing it different during COVID with these little cups. And the bread or the bread wafer is at the top. But we're going to take communion together after we pray. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you're instructed to remember Jesus until He comes again. And this was a quaint moment where Jesus broke bread and shared the cup before He went to the cross with His inner core, those 12 disciples. I'm sure they had all kinds of flashbacks going before them. They didn't know what stood before them with the cross. But He took the bread and whether it's what you got here in house today or something maybe you've gathered at home to partake of communion with us. Jesus wanted them to know that this bread represented His body that would be broken for Him. And then the cup, which represented His life that would be poured out. Jesus loves you so much that He gave His life for you. How many people are you going to give your life for when you walk out of here? I had a couple friends that I've been uh, journeying with through earlier years of life, some still today, that uh, contacted other disciples and friends this week about some things that happened. One of those was a guy that was in my inner core group when I... Uh, was first discipling young college people. His name is Kevin. He's a pastor, has been a pastor in St. Louis for these years. Works with another ministry organization now, but he posted this week about coming home and pulling upside a car. And I won't read it all for you, but he said, I pulled up alongside a car to back into a parking spot in front of our house before I knew it I was being shot at by someone who was in the car next to me they shot through their closed windows and into my car I guess instinct kicked in and because I ducked down and sped away from the scene they shot into my car seven or eight times I was hit once with the bullet the bullet that broke my shoulder blade Looking at the number of shots and where they hit, it's absolutely amazing that I'm alive today. Kevin's a really great guy. Doing great urban ministry. Some stuff I sometimes think, how can I be a disciple of Jesus in those situations? He's going to be okay. Listen to what he says as he closes. This is a follower of Jesus. Thanks for your love and for your prayers for healing during these days. And you can pray for those who assaulted me as well. I want justice mixed with mercy and ultimately redemption. That's my hope. Love from St. Louis, a broken and yet beautiful city. I had an upfront seat when Jesus called Kevin. I visited him once in St. Louis. Jesus is still calling people into all kinds of necks of the woods in your neighborhood and mine. And He's calling us because He laid down His life for us to redeem other people.
beginning with you. The second comment comes from a friend. He's probably been my best friend, one of my best friends in life. We began elder meeting this week, and I shared it with the elders, but his dad died. I knew his dad. His dad was a great man of God. He was a quiet man, but he served in churches, all kinds of things. And his dad and his mom raised four great kids, all solid Christ followers, all four in one capacity I've been friends with. But my best friend, Mark, he was pretty broken. Still is this week. Maybe he's watching this from home. But I got up yesterday and he had texted me something that I wanted to share with you. He texted me, his dad died unexpectedly. And he texted me, he said, this is the prayer my dad led with at church last week. And it was a prayer from John Wesley. Watch night covenant prayer. This was John Wesley's prayer. Mark's dad stood up in front of a congregation last Sunday morning and prayed this prayer, not knowing that that would be the last Sunday that he was gathered on this side of heaven as a follower of Jesus. But all the way to his very dying week, he was a passionate follower of Jesus, knowing he was called by Jesus, called to Jesus, and he was called with Jesus through several ministries and, and churches he was involved in. That was not his vocation, but he knew it was his calling. And this was the prayer. I am no longer my own, John Wesley said, but I am yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you and laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to you, your pleasure and disposal. And now, O oh glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. It's the prayer of a great saint in John Wesley who gave his life, knowing he was called by Jesus, to Jesus, and with Jesus, and was a prayer of a faithful follower and father, husband, and so worker in this life named Rod Benson. Benson family, my heart goes to you. Grieve well that you will see him soon because he was a follower of Jesus. So as you partake of the bread and then you partake of the cup, know that you are called. And if you've never crossed the line of faith, you can do so in this time of prayer. Invite Jesus to come into your life that you're choosing to follow with him. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Lord Jesus, in these moments, we thank you. You've called us to yourself. Through history past, through the original disciples, to a John Wesley, to a Kevin to a rod, to my friend Mark, to us here, we choose this day to remember you, your broken body, and your shed blood. Thank you for calling us to yourself. May take of the bread together. Lord, we thank you for the cup. You shed blood. And Lord, may we in some measure be willing to lay our life down for you, for what you've done for us. We remember you on this day. Thank you for being the bread of life.
and giving your life for us to never be thirsty and without hope. You may partake. I want to just encourage some of you, and uh, this invitation's been there through prior weeks, but if you'd like to draw close to knowing more what it means to be a follower of Jesus, no matter where you're at, whatever you believe, no matter how long you've maybe been a follower of Jesus, I invite you to sign up for Rooted. You can text the word Rooted to this number, 951-816-7273, or fill out a connection card on your way out. We now have enough to get two groups going. So maybe we'll give some variety, but we're going to start it later this month. Consider being a part of Rooted. I also want to just encourage us to um, uh, do something that I told the congregation at the congregation for last week's meeting, and that is I want you to consider being a part of a fresh season of ministering with Jesus with the little kids. Young people, Elementary, early childhood, some of you here, you're doing a great job hanging in with COVID. But we've made a decision and praise God for the Supreme Court decision this week that makes everything fully green to go with meeting back inside. But we're conscious of concerns. How do we establish our children's ministry of fresh and anew after COVID in a safe manner? And our decision has been that we're going to target April the 4th, the first Sunday of April, which also happens to be Easter, as when we're going to have children's ministries back up and operating. But our children's directors, through life changes, have stepped aside, and uh, Beth and Devin, we thank them so much for their ministry. We are now without a leader in children's ministry. But we're not looking for a leader right now. We're looking for a fresh set of Christ followers who can teach young people and encourage young people and love on young people to be followers with Jesus. And would you consider doing that? I'm going to have uh, Oliver stand, if you would. I'm just going to have him stand here this morning. Everybody, this is Oliver. Give Oliver a hand. <laughs> Oliver and his family uh, started attending uh, the Awakening just this past summer. And Oliver is going to be sharing in a few weeks with you. But I want to encourage you to talk to Oliver. He is an Alliance pastor. He works with a ministry called Every Generation Ministries, which reaches out to children and youth around the world. He's overseeing all of Every Generation Ministries in Latin America. And Oliver has willingly said, I'll be a point person for people to come to to volunteer for us restarting children's ministry the first Sunday. And he'll give encouragement, he'll give equipping and training and become a champion for you. It doesn't matter how you serve, we get all kinds of testimonies up here. I want you to, one, at least thank Oliver taking on this role for right now as sort of adjunct staff for us. He is not the children's ministry director, but he is going to help navigate us through as staff in that direction. But thank him for that, but also let him know that you're willing to serve with Jesus in children's ministry. Because we have a big calling for us to get ourselves back into the line with all that God has for us to do with reaching families. And I'm so grateful for the family units that are sitting here today. But we want to give concerted instruction, whether it's with the littles in early childhood or it's with the elementary age. So please, please, prayerfully consider that. As surely as you consider being a follower of Jesus, consider fresh and new whatever season you're at in life. to go with Jesus into ministering to young people. You do that? Children's Ministry, April 4th, Oliver Cardenas. Thank you, Oliver. And if you're at home, just simply text the word children to that number, 951-816-7273. You know, sometimes I feel like this televangelist up here when I repeat phone numbers. It's really awkward because that's just not me. But I'll give you one more. If you'd like to give to today's offering, if you're at home, you can text uh, the word AWAKENING to 77977, or you can drop your offerings off on your way out. 
Will you stand with me as I pray a blessing over you? You just open your hands receive from the Lord. The vast majority of you in this room, probably watching online, have chosen to come and see and to be Christ's followers. And now, Lord Jesus, as your followers leave this room or get up from their chairs, may your Spirit go with them and abide powerfully upon them as they minister the hope that is found in you, Jesus. Building the relationships, extending the communication of the Gospel, praying vigilantly for others. Lord, bless them. Send them out. Send them to be with You. But Lord, may they be not just side by side, but may they go out face to face, increase their intimacy. We thank You for sharing communion today with You, Jesus. We long for Your soon return when we will gather together with our loved ones who have gone before. The disciples that we've had the privilege of being sojourners with when we're all gathered, Lord, but for this day, for this hour, for this week, send us out. May we be your hands and feet and your mouth and your presence to call others, to tell others to come and see. Amen. See you next week. Have a great week.